0: Australia,
1: Quay Cooper, for The win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quay Cooper is the man. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where die-hard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved get involved oh yeah i'm your host mitch i'm joined as always by my co-host ando ando how are you this evening
0: tops mate ready to talk rugby good to be here
1: no wallabies to talk about this week but we do have a a test match between the wallaroos and the black ferns so very much looking forward to chatting through that or are we looking forward to chatting (laughs) it was a
0: challenging one wasn't (laughs) it i mean we love to talk women's rugby love to um kind of Hype up the game where we can. It was it was a pretty lopsided encounter, and it, look, there's some there's some juicy stuff to get into, but it's one of those uh, ones that you're not going to enjoy talking through in detail. You know.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it feels at the moment in Australian rugby that we're having more of these types of chats, uh, which is not fun as positive, upbeat rugby podcasters. <laughs> but uh, we love the game. We love. Uh, the people that play it. So we just want to spread the rugby gospel as much as possible. So we will take the hits when they come and we will talk, we'll continue to talk the game up. Um, <laughs> if you are listening to us, we are. you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So do just search for the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We should come up. We're pretty vocal on Twitter. Uh, we try to be vocal on Facebook and Instagram. Being an audio podcast, we probably don't transfer as well on those platforms, but we are there. So do give us a like and a follow on those platforms. Um, if you also want to get involved with the podcast, we do have a Superbrew tipping comp currently running for the rugby championships. Now, it is currently week two of a six week comp. Uh, you are welcome to join. We want everyone and as many people as possible to join up to that. So do, if you aren't interested, do uh, search for us on Superbrew. Pl- that is the platform we are using. Uh, you may even be able to catch some of us down the bottom who got the last two weeks horribly, horribly wrong. So it's probably not too late to join. And if you do want to get involved, please do uh, look us up and get involved in that way. What are we doing this evening, Ando?
0: Well, mate, we're going to hit up some news because there's been some big stuff happening within Australian rugby. In terms of player emissions, uh, the saviour, who is known as Bernard Foley, coming back into the Wallaby setup.
1: Uh, I feel like me to play some, defense some music coaches. when we talk about this. <laughs>
0: Ice, ice baby. Or we just need to get our like Val Kilmer um, shots as the Iceman coming back in. Um, but either way, we'll chat some of that news. There's also, um, yes, yeah, news from around the globe that we'll be touching on before we then go into the Black Ferns versus the wallaroos and the locker room. So, I mean, we always say this, but we're fairly confident tonight will be pretty short and sharp. So let's see if we can keep our word there. We
1: we are recording this intro at the beginning of the night, so we don't know how long the the uh, <laughs> preceding pod will go for, but we'll try and keep it short, sharp and and punchy like we say every week. Uh but I mean ne- if, neck minute, hour and a half. So most people go. love listening to us talk rugby, so that's why we're such a successful <laughs> podcast. But we will Yeah, um, sure. Yep. <laughs> let's let's just get into it and let's uh talk some spicy news, hey? All right, let's go. <laughs>
0: All right, we now hit the spicy news, and we're going to start with one of the biggest shocks of the last week or so, which was the All Blacks have remained with Ian Foster as their head coach. Mitch, did you see this one coming? In my mind, he was gone for all money. uh,
1: Realistically, no. I I was very much expecting them to announce after that South Africa series or those two games in South Africa that, thank you, Ian Foster. You've done great for the All Blacks over the last however long, and we've decided to go in a different way. But they've come out and they've they've said, uh, quote unquote, the board have anonymous unanimously, unanimously agreed to have absolute confidence that Ian and his coaching group are the right people to lead the All Blacks through to the World Cup. So not only have they reappointed him, but he has full support of the board. So ooh, take with ooh, that will gone he in a will. week.
0: Gone in a week. They'll <laughs> lose to Argentina at home. He'll be gone. <laughs>
1: that's that's right. Um, yeah, bit of a bit of a shock, to be honest. I I was surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised, let's say, if they had decided to fire him. It it would have been difficult to do that currently, you know, what are we, 12, 11 months out from the World Cup. Not ideal prep at all, but in some ways it's probably the, the time you do want to make a change if you are going to do it. Now that they have agreed to stick with him through to the World Cup, if they somehow bomb... Um, the rest of the rugby champs and end up losing the Bledisloe, which I don't think they will. I'm not saying that they will, but if they somehow manage to do that, I think the New Zealand rugby public will just go absolutely nuts and they'll have no choice but to get rid of Ian Foster. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the next few months and how the rest of 2022 pans out. But one interesting point around this announcement was that they have brought in Joe Smith as an assistant coach Now, there's no actual sort of definition or title around that. He's not the forwards coach. He's not the attack coach. He's not the defense coach. We don't know how he fits into the coaching setup. He's just been called an assistant coach, uh, which is quite interesting. What are your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, Joe Schmidt has a lot of rugby IP and knowledge from the Northern Hemisphere game with his involvement with Ireland for such a long time that it would make sense to me to bring him into the setup just to lend lend an extra set of experienced eyes and ears into everything that's going on there. Um, And considering he was likely, in my mind, the best replacement for Ian Foster, I just wonder if he's kind of said no. He doesn't want the job at all, but he's happy to help out. Um, and I'm less convinced that this is the board having full confidence in Ian Foster and them just not actually having someone to replace him with. Cause well, Scott I sort Robinson of, didn't seem to want it at that this time. Oh, and Ian, no, and uh, Joe I don't Schmidt think doesn't want not anyone in world rugby
1: uh, apart from maybe Joe Schmidt is w- willing to take on the All Blacks currently. That's probably a job too far to get them back in the good books and be competitive again for Rugby World Cup 2023, uh, if you're a new coach who's completely new to the setup and, and sort of new to the group i do kind of read this situation that joe smith is there as a bit of a jet get out of jail free card should um, things go south pretty quickly and as we said if ian foster and the all blacks do end up bombing the rest of the rugby championship and potentially losing the Bledisloe slow later in the year i do for potentially foresee a situation arising if that needs to be the case where they do let Ian Foster go and say that Joe Schmidt's going to step into place. He's been with the setup. And this is their kind of way of paving that sort of pathway. And then at the end of 2023 post-World Cup, that's when they maybe look to uh, Scott Robertson. But even then, there's some talks going around that Scott Robertson's linking up or potentially in talks to link up with England. So there could be Ooh. there could be um, some unavailability in, in regards to taking on the All Blacks post-2023 as well.
0: Well, let's see how that one comes out. But uh, either way, there's some interesting times still to come in New Zealand rugby. They're not – when you look at how they're actually tracking, they're not really going as bad as uh, New Zealand media seems to be putting them out. They're just not reaching the high standards that they have set themselves. They've
1: never lost a series ever at home, and they've done that. Against a very good Irish team.
0: But, like, if they'd lost a series at home against – Chile like Argentina or Scotland or someone who is a good team but probably traveling is not as quality as someone like Ireland it would be a different story but Ireland are one of the best teams currently in the world oh they so ranked one so yeah yeah of course yeah Yeah. Um, but just from a consistency point of view they're a very good team so anyway okay let's move on Moving now to some of the Aussie side of things, Alicia Lucas, a legend of Australian rugby within a women's seven circles, has officially retired. So she came out of retirement briefly for the Oceania Sevens tournament earlier in the year, I believe. Um, but she, at 30 years old, has made the official announcement of her retirement. A true servant to the game. Well done, Alicia. Comments, Mitch?
1: Yeah, just great to see a player of her ability and calibre back playing for the Australian sevens team um, would have been awesome to see if she could contribute to the uh, successful campaign that was the recent uh, Commonwealth games but obviously that didn't end up happening and and with the preparation and the team that they did select you could see that there was a really cohesive unit there so not surprised in that regard but yeah great to just a great all-round player uh, you know one of those people that you look up to as, the founding um, Sevens team that won that gold in, what was it, Rio? Yep. Uh, and yep. has just really shaped the success that the, the current, well, built, created that success that the current team is now sort of thriving on.
0: Yep, incredibly uh, wonderful commitment to the game, and ambassador for women's rugby, I really recommend that you go to Instagram and read her retirement post because it's uh, an an incredible reflection upon her experiences and the sentiments that have come out from players such as Charlotte Caslick and uh, Shawnee Williams speak to the legacy that she has made. So well done, Alicia Quirk, and enjoy retirement. Hope to see you back involved within the game in some ways as well. Alicia Lucas. She's now
1: married to Maddie Lucas from former Waratah and Brumby scrum half. Yes, fair enough. Um,
0: Now, moving into a couple of other interesting um, coaching changes. Super rugby news, I guess. Yeah, super rugby news. So Tim Sampson, who has finished up now with Western Force, has joined the Rebels of all teams as an attack coach. Now, the reason why I say the Rebels of all teams is because of the animosity in the history back in the days of the axing of the force in 2017. It was basically the Rebels or the force on the chopping block. And there's been a lot of animosity between those two teams. And yet we see now Tim Sampson joining the Rebels as attack coach. Good to keep his rugby IP within Australian rugby. But do you think that was was that the choice or the location that you were thinking that he would be heading,
1: Mitch? To be completely honest, I was not sure where Tim Sampson was going to go. I, I didn't really expect him to pop up at another Super Rugby province. Uh, I guess it makes sense that he would be looking for another job within uh, Super Rugby. Glad that he's signed on with an Australian team, and even. I think it's even a better decision to sign on with the Rebels. We've seen over the last few years that they haven't really been able to quite unlock the talent and potential that their team has, that their roster um, can do on the field. So Tim Sampson did good, great things with the force. Uh, when you consider where they came from, how quickly the squad was thrown together. Um, and the players that, that that first year, particularly the players that they oh, had the available, the COVID challenges them. as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and playing yeah. a whole season away from home and those sorts of things. So uh, I, I think this is a great opportunity for him. I'd be really interested interested to see how he goes in Melbourne. There are some players that he would have connections to with the uh, Western Force from the time previous to uh, their axing and and that sort of period of existence through global rapid global rapid rugby and. Where some of those players then went over and played for the melbourne rebels uh so it'll be interesting to see how he goes in in melbourne and i guess looking forward to seeing it
0: yeah so i think a, a lot of the news a lot of the um sentiment from people over in wa is that he's a great man really connected well did a lot for the club and with that in mind i'm happy to see him staying within the game i wonder um, if
1: this does help bridge the gap between the fans like the, <laughs> the sea of blue are the most passionate fans in australian rugby at the moment And they understandably, there's some animosity between them and the Melbourne Rebels. Now that they've got Tim Sampson, their former head coach, uh, representing the Melbourne Rebels and coaching them down there. Do we think that it'll be interesting to see if there is that kind of uh, shared, uh, what would you call it? Like uh, maybe they lessen that level of anger and hatred towards that team. I used that word before, so I didn't want to use it again.
0: Yeah, look, I, I always think that's a little bit overstated. I mean, professional rugby players get over it. They need a contract to, like, keep their livelihood alive. So I really don't have a big issue mm. <laughs> with that. But then again, I'm not a force supporter, so I probably have a different perspective. Uh, either way, it's a good feel, um, good recruitment, and, yeah, hope to see him light up the Rebels' attack in 2023. Not at the expense of the Waratahs, of course. Um, now... Another coaching shift that has happened is within a Wallaby oh, setup. Oh, there was one Matt more Taylor, One more. I know I'm gonna come back. To it. I'm gonna okay, come back. Cool. Never mind. Back. Go on. Let me, let me, yeah, let good, me good. Um, was the coaching change within the Wallaby setup where Matt Taylor has stepped back. And for that, that was a really interesting change because he's been the defense coach, got kind of poached from Scotland in 2020, uh, specifically came to work with Dave Rennie and Scott Wisemantle. Um, and the reasoning or the information that was given was that it was a mutual decision and that he's actually stepping away from rugby entirely and is going to use it as an opportunity to get to spend more time with his family so it's one of those things that makes me think that there's more going on in the background here uh Mitch I know you had a particular perspective that you were thinking of or some ideas around this or some questions around this
1: yeah I'm starting to worry as a a Wallabies fan and a fan of Australian rugby that there is some narrative starting to form within the Wallaby setup in the last few weeks that we haven't seen previously under different coaches. Um, injury tolls, the amount of players that have been injured in preparation week. Uh, now we had, we had Michael Hooper come out and say that he wasn't mentally uh, ready and, and willing and able well, uh, at a place where he was able to um, adequately lead the team as the captain and, and play. so he stepped away and, and taken some time. We've now seen this announcement come out and some of the wording that has come through that uh, in the media, and here's one to to sort of quote from rugby.com.au. Following a discussion with Rennie, they have both agreed the time was right for Taylor to step away as he focuses on personal matters. So I interpret that as that Rennie has quite a a bit of a say in that decision as well. It, It didn't feel like the way that they communicated Michael Hooper stepping away, saying that Michael Hooper had some mental health um, concerns that he wanted to get right before he was ready to to come back and play for the Wallabies and to lead the team again. This situation, to me, is worrying that we're now starting to see a toll uh, building up of players, coaches, who just aren't quite delivering at the top level. And we saw the last test match was the Wallabies' biggest defeat ever to Argentina. Dave Rennie was understandably quite upset about that result said some things in the media in the press conference that this just wasn't good enough that we need to be better we need to make changes um, we'll talk about it a little bit later but James O'Connor has been dropped out of the team completely uh they've brought in Bernard Foley uh you know the the whole way that they've handled Noel Alessio and his preparation where he's in one week he's out the next we don't really have a, a as a wallabies fan that's outside that setup we don't really see what the overall plan is and it kind of feels, particularly in, that ten, in the 10 role, that we're trying to find someone from somewhere. We, we don't really know where that person is currently to fit the hole and be the perfect player. It sure. looked like uh, Quaid Cooper was that solution for a little while and now he's injured and he's out. So now we're looking for someone else. Bernard Foley, is he that person who comes in, fits that hole? Not too sure. We will have to see in the next few weeks. But I'm starting to worry that... With the, the, the preparation, the players that are getting injured, um, the way that these it's sort of being reported that he was stepping away for personal reasons, that maybe there's something not quite right in the setup and the mental preparation around the Wallabies at the moment.
0: Sure. I hear that opinion. I, I think a bit differently about it um, in so far as the last two years have been incredibly challenging for professional, um, for for many people around the globe and within Australia for obvious reasons in terms of COVID isolation and everything that's come as a part of that. Um, The challenges that the players, the coaching staff and their families have had to go through with um, having to go into bubbles away from their families for extended periods of time um, would also have put a strain upon the players and the coaches, and I just wonder if it if that is a contributing factor to this. Now, I don't need to know, mm. um, and I don't like Matt Taylor has every right to his privacy. That's completely yeah, fine. Um, he doesn't need to come out publicly and give give the reasons. But my my read on it is less of a critique of the um, kind of Wallabies environment or kind of the mental preparation or support mm. side of things, and just considering it as more of a um, a personal matter which might well have come to a head after a few years of extreme stress and pressure and deciding that family comes first. And I wonder if that's just it. And then looking at that um, quote that you gave, which is which is fair enough to consider maybe the role that Rennie had within this decision, is maybe it was like, oh, I feel this is where I'm at currently. Mm. I need this break, but I think I might stay until the end of the rugby championships or something. And then Rennie's like, Nah, mate, if you gotta go, you gotta go. Just make the decision that's right for you or whatever it is. So I'm I'm seeing a similar the the same situation and just I'm reading it a, a different way. Um, but that that's completely fine. And so on that point, um Laurie Fisher from the Brumbies has been named as the interim assistant coach. He will not be joining the Wallaby staff on, on a permanent basis. He's just helping them out um, on an interim. Level, he loves living in Canberra, it's close to his family, his grandkids, and all that. So he um reportedly has no interest in the role in a longer term position. Uh, but you touched you you spoke to it pretty well so far. Some of the really big news that have come out recently was the dropping of James O'Connor and the inclusion of Bernard Foley within the rugby championship squad. Massive news and a massive change. And in my eyes, a little bit unfair on mm. James O'Connor. Do you think that?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think I did uh, touch on it briefly before yeah. Um, yeah. when how I was talking about that previous situation. But it just, I personally feel like they haven't set James O'Connor up to succeed in the test matches in the game time that he's been given currently in 2022. And I, I don't, we, we we can only go off what we, we see on the TV, right? We can only go off how he performs on the field. The team selections, we're not privy to the information that's being discussed at training the way that the preparation in the in the week is sort of shaped um some of the whispers that have come out is that uh, dave rennie has a specific game plan that he wants to play in a specific way he wants his 10 to lead the team around and to um attack the line at certain in certain ways and do things in certain ways and james o'connor is just not currently doing that uh but when we look at the whole picture and the sort of the chopping and changing of, of selections in the last few weeks, injury, uh, injury forced or not, uh, it, it, it does raise some big questions around what the overall plan is, who Dave Rennie currently sees as that uh, first choice 10 leading up to the World Cup next year. Is it Noah Alessio? Is it James O'Connor? Well, we've been told really now it's not James O'Connor. Uh, is mm-hmm. it Bernard Foley? Is it Quay Cooper? We don't know about Foley at the moment. He's been brought in to see what he can do. But we I, I'd be very surprised if he has a, a massive input into the team that is going to sort of solidify himself as that first choice 10 ahead of Quade Cooper moving yep. into World Cup next year. Yep.
0: Yeah, look, it's there, there's some justifiable questions that are coming through within this decision. And you're right, I do think that James O'Connor has not had an opportunity yet for consistent gains within that 10 position to put his case forward. And I think that dropping him for an unproven foley at this stage of his career and with this playing group is a very strange decision. And it's probably the first time where I have reservations uh, had, had misgivings about Dave Rennie's selections. Um, all the other times, I've thought fair enough. I can, I can trust that you have a viewer, information, or analysis that that is far superior to mine. In this one, I still think the same. Like, th- there's got to be reasoning for it. I just, I just thought it was a bit harsh. Some the way of the that just communication got cut.
1: that Rennie has come out and said in the press conference after the announcement of the squad for the South Africa tests, as well has me a little concerned. So he says, James got a crack in the last test and we saw his experience is very important and wanted him to drive the ship. We wanted him to implement our plan and we were pretty clunky, to be honest. Lacked cohesion, so he's missed out on selection. Now, I don't know if Dave Rennie's just used the wrong word there around cohesion and if we or has used it in a different way than we've come to expect as rugby fans with game line analytics and the way that they talk about cohesion and their sort of theory around that. But when you look at the selection, he had... Nick White, at ten, uh, Nick White at nine outside him and Lenny Kitau at 12. So he hasn't played any minutes in 2022 with either of those players. If he's talking about cohesion being a real reason as to why he wasn't dropped, you'd want to be seeing him with Tate McDermott and potentially uh, mm-hmm. Hunter Paisami outside him. We can't yep. expect him to be firing on all cylinders in the Brumby setup. Like Maybe Noel Essio would be expected to to cohesively play better in that environment, but I don't think it's right to say that James O'Connor came in with that preparation with those players with the amount of game time he had with them and was expected to perform at an exceeding level didn't meet that so he's now been cut i just feel like that's extremely harsh
0: yeah yeah agreed um okay cool looking at the time and thinking ahead to what we said earlier um let's quickly go the final point that we wanted to oh there's just one other
1: point we needed to mention around plays in this squad and and that is that uh, Lange Gleeson has been named from New South Wales as as a I guess at this point he's a development player in the overall 26 I think they named for the South Africa series uh, interesting to see him included there great in given the opportunity he gets realistically I don't think he will get any game time unless we see some some massive injuries to the players <laughs> far ahead of him in, in the selection yep. uh, lineup um, and today it was announced that uh, ben Donaldson as well has been included as a development player. so he's flying up to Queensland I think today or tomorrow um, to the Gold Coast to meet up with the Wallaby squad as well. Yeah, Ranwick just got knocked out of the shoot shield finals,
0: so he's been go freed Gordon. up to be available.
1: Go Gordon, if anyone hasn't seen that game either, <laughs> get on uh, go back get and watch uh, stand and watch that uh, yep. final between Gordon and Ranwick that was fantastic.
0: Agreed. And so we move now to the final piece of news, bit of admin. Brumbies have included ACT back in their name. So basically just getting some of their uh, promotional material or um, marketing side of things to reflect the fact that um, they, yeah, they've, they've strongly been involved in ACT that will enable them to be known as with, within a um, match day kind of telecast, the ACT versus NSW, or ACT versus Queensland, ACT Brumbies, like I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, they've been servicing, not is servicing the right word or supporting, representing representing kind of South Coast, New South Wales, rugby and kind of uh, some areas of Central West for a while now. So um, long may that they continue that. I was just going to say been, quite tongue in
1: cheek that if they are going with the ACT in their name, then they can only represent the ACT. And so that frees up that those areas of New South Wales back to the Waratahs or back to the Melbourne Rebels. <laughs> no
0: thanks, mate. Uh, I don't <laughs> trust New South Wales rugby to do a good enough job, so the <laughs> Brumbies can keep them and do do their good stuff. Um, okay, anything else we need to move uh, need to talk about, or shall we move on to the? No, I think so.
1: Um, we're interested to hear everyone else's thoughts on these selections. So, if you've yeah, got any thoughts yeah. um, around James O'Connor, is that the right call? Do you think Bernard Foley is going to be the Ice Man after what is it three years away from Australian rugby? Is he going to be able to come in? And slot those penalties on full time to win us the the series, like Quade Cooper did last year against South Africa. Let us know. Hit us up on either Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, sorry, um, or Instagram if that's your thing. Um, either of those platforms, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Agreed. All right, let's jump on.
1: Time to talk some rugby now. we move to the Wallaroos test against the New Zealand Black Ferns that was played on Saturday evening, 5.05pm uh, local time in New Zealand, Orange Theory Stadium down in Christchurch. Not the night that the Wallaroos were expecting. 52-5 to 5 was the final score between uh, the victory going to the New Zealand women. Uh, this was the first test of a two-test series for the O'Reilly Cup. Uh, not a great test for the Wallaroos ando did you get through this did you get through most of this game what were your initial thoughts
0: yeah mate i watched the whole thing um it's one of the things i'm definitely trying to do uh, is provide some more support to the Wallabies as much as possible that involves yeah just <laughs> watching every moment of the game even if, if it was a wall- wallabies match I probably would have turned it off um maybe 20 minutes into time, but i wanted to kind of Go through to the end and see the full performance and yeah it's really it's really difficult i don't think the walrus played incredibly poorly they were basically just out muscled um outrun and a lot of their mistakes that they made were in the attacking areas of the field in moments where they were starting to apply pressure and build pressure on the black ferns so yeah it's like every mistake was critical for the Wallaroos and just came back to hurt them
1: yeah and i think from watching I, i've only seen the mini of this game i didn't get a chance to watch all of it but from the bits and pieces that i did get to see this game it, the what the all the new zealand black ferns just were so clinical and they just looked so well drilled and so much fitter than the Wallaroos. i don't know if they necessarily were fitter but it just seemed like that from watching um the the mini that every time the Wallaroos dropped a ball one of the New Zealand women were on top of it and would uh, make a break and, and potential, and most of the time score a try from it. Um, as you as you mentioned, Ando, the Wallaroos weren't as bad as the score really does highlight fifty two to five. You you kind of expect it, like the team didn't really shop at all, and I don't think that was a true reflection of the performance. Correct, yeah, but it, it, it is a horrible score line. Um, it is the first test of two, and the World Cup. I, I think the next test is their last test before the World Cup later this year. What are the areas where the Wallaroos can focus on before their next test?
0: Look, I think the first one is uh, within a lock pairings and a line out. So Leonard and Leany were an untested combination coming into the second row and they really struggled in a couple of areas. Uh, first off, their ball carrying was... Um, they really struggled to win that collusion zone and get over the game line and create some go forward. It was really only Grace Kemp within a forward pack that was making metres in contact. And so that just meant that the Wallaroos were on the back foot the vast majority of the time when they even had the ball, which wasn't very often. Um, but the line out was really, really poor from the Wallaroos, both in on when they had possession and also when they were uh, running a defensive line out. So many times the... Um, so Leonard and Lenny were trying to like jump in the air to compete against the lineout throw and the lifters literally just weren't lifting them. It's like the lifters just weren't in the right position and ready to get them up into the air. And there were there was one or two times, definitely one I recall, maybe more within the second half where they actually got um I think it was Lenny in that moment up, she got the steal and it was fantastic. But it was just that um that constant I don't want to use the word cohesion in this moment, but it's it's players knowing where to be and what their role is within a defensive line out and also accuracy on their own side of the lineout. They gave the ball away like three times off their own line out, um, in a good attacking opportunity. It was very, very frustrating to watch them give up those moments where they could have got some reward for their hard work.
1: Yep. So working on the line out is one area that they can focus on. One other area that I highlighted when I was watching it was their work at the breakdown, particularly in their uh, attempts to overturn or to steal the ball. Uh, a number of times there was a player there competing for the ball, but they just weren't clinical enough to actually get hands on ball and and to actually get the pill. And there was so many times where I heard the referee saying, you've missed the ball or um, the ball's free, hands off, gold. And so they just weren't quite clinical enough to be able to get to the breakdown early enough to get their hands on the pill and to win that turnover. And New Zealand Mm. were very, very quick at clearing them out when they did get there. So next week... Um, some of our our back back three players um, Emily Chancellor is usually really good at the pilfer she's really good at that she's like that kind of makeshift seven uh, the Hooper-esque seven player who's always sort of contesting for the turnover um, she had a quite a quiet game in that regard had a few attempts but didn't really succeed as many times as we kind of expected her to
0: Yeah, that one was interesting because in moments I thought Emily Chancellor and Shannon Parry had a couple of uh, good turnovers. Like Chancellor definitely got one or two turnovers throughout the game Um, and Shannon Parry got a couple too, but Ash Masters got a really good one too. Um, but with that being said, I think a big part of that challenge that you're identifying is just the lack of tackle dominance that the Warriors mm-hmm. had. And so a lot of the time players are going in to slow the ball down rather than affect a turnover because yeah. they're very different ruck involvements. Um, and so if they're able to address some of those uh, deficiencies in the contact zone, then maybe they're going to be able to have more effective um, moments within the breakdown as well, where they're trying to pilfer the ball. Uh, wh- one of the things that really came, uh, was was quite obvious to me, was the absolute legendary uh, refereeing that came from Maggie Cogger-Or. I thought the refereeing in this game was fantastic, um, both in terms of the clarity of communication with the players, uh, the accuracy and the consistency of the calls that were made, um, but just the general control that um, she, Maggie, or she, Cogger, or had over the game. Like it was, it was great. I really, really thought the refereeing performance allowed both teams to do well, but also set pretty clear expectations of play.
1: Yeah, and just allow things to flow really nicely, which was great to see. Let the girls play. Let the girls play. That's right. Now, this, as we said previously, and to build on that point, this is the second last test for the Wallaroos before the World Cup next year. Is there alarm bells ringing in Wallaroos coaches at the moment? Is this a bit of a wake up call of where they currently sit? Is this a true indication, do you think, this result, a true indication of where the preparation and this Wallaroos Walla team currently sits?
0: I think, I, I don't think so. Um, I think getting beaten by the Blackferns is a true representation, but the extent of the defeat I don't think is uh, accurate because, uh, how do I say this? Well, I said it earlier, they, they definitely weren't as bad as the scoreline makes them out to be. But it was just a night where every single time they dropped the ball, it was when they were building pressure to score a try. Or every single time they threw an overthrow. There were three, minimum of three line-out overthrows within the first half by the Wallaroos. And most of the time, it was just after they got a penalty kicked into the Black Ferns half or close to 22, and then they just turn over from the line out straight away. Um, So if they can fix those inaccuracies, then they'll be far more competitive and you won't see a blowout like this. I just don't think they have the quality um, and the consistency, particularly within the forward pack, to be able to compete against the Black Ferns and some of the other um, Northern Hemisphere teams who are full-time professional.
1: And that's my next point around the preparation of the Wallaroos when we compare it to the Black Ferns. So from the little bit of Instagram sleuthing that I've been able to do over the last week or two, it seems like the Wallaroos only came into camp last week, and so they've had a week prior to this test together. After the Pacific 4 series, they all went away and went back to their own states and had some time back at work, and now they've come back together just recently in preparation for this series, and then I imagine they'll probably break again after this series before coming together for a camp prior to the World Cup. Yeah. this is probably this is definitely not the ideal preparation that these girls would need and and would come to expect from a professional outfit months or even weeks away from the start of a tournament like the world cup do you think that that preparation or um lack of time together is an indication of where some of the errors were in this game
0: yeah i think so i mean uh you look at line out inaccuracies what does that come down to time on a park drilling it together in training um you don't see the brumbies making those consistent errors why because they train it week in week out as part of their dna and so when you're seeing basic overthrows players not getting up in the air properly or at one point um when oh what's talakai's first name i'm having a mental blank um sister of sam talakai anyway um Talakai came on in the second half and threw a line out but as she's holding the ball the jump has been lifted into the air and it's adiana. just hanging there adiana Talakai, thank you um and it's just waiting there for Adiana Talakai to throw the ball through and that's just a timing issue of of not doing enough sequences of run-throughs of that line-out move and so a lot of the problems i think that are coming down to that, that have been highlighted within this game just a lack of time in the saddle with the players inside and outside of them, time in training, um, and it just comes down to the overall state of women's rugby at the moment. I do not doubt for a moment that the women are trying their absolute best, putting their heart in every single game and every single moment. Um, don't doubt that at all. Yep. I just think that they're in a really challenging scenario where they where the odds are stacked against them.
1: And it, again, it comes down to that big C, doesn't it? Cohesion. Um, how many times can we squeeze that word into one podcast? <laughs> uh, look- I
0: think I think more so it comes down to the big C of coin, like just money. Um, we're going to touch on it, I think, a little bit later with some of the, the questions that have come in. Yeah. But a lot of it just comes down to money, money, money. They simply don't... Uh, rugby Australia don't have the money to fund yep. women's rugby in a way that it needs to be. And we're seeing the result of the... Um, what's the right way, the the lack of focus and the lack of support for women's rugby over the last three, four, five years is coming home to roost in results like this.
1: Are you surprised that there were no uh, players from the Sevens team, the successful women's Sevens team that made the jump across to the Wallaroos for these two tests or even in time for the World Cup later in the year?
0: I don't know. I don't. Is that a common thing that happens within women's rowing? I personally
1: haven't thought of uh, for long Captain enough Sharon to know that detail. Mary's came through the the sevens circuit. That's her sort of bread and butter.
0: Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, look, I'm not sure. Uh, it, I honestly don't know. I haven't thought about that in enough detail. You, Do you have some ideas about
1: it? Well, can you imagine the likes of Charlotte Caslick in the centres just running straight through these all black women?
0: Yeah, it'd I mean, be it'd be a sight to see, wouldn't it? She'd be a their, fantastic 12. She'd be great at 12.
1: Just having their level of fitness and professionalism to the team, I think, would have lifted things a little bit and it would mm. have even potentially just shown the other players, particularly the younger ones, who this is their first time in a Wallaroo setup um, with COVID and, and the last two years being what they are. They haven't had a lot of time together as a unit. It probably yep. would have been a good way of showing them where they need to get to um, yep. and what the, the program can be if they gets that uh, required funding, like the Sevens team has, um, yep. let's move to this week. So this coming week, there's the second te- second test of the two match series. How do you foresee this month one going? For those playing oh. along at home, it is being played on Saturday afternoon, uh, before the Wallabies in South Africa test. It is uh, in Sydney time, twelve thirty PM kickoff. So it's a doubleheader, yeah. It Sorry. is a doubleheader. So great time to to watch some women's rugby. 12 twelve thirty. Perfect, perfect opportunity to get to see the girls in prime time. So do do turn it on if you do have some time available. But how do you yep. see that test going?
0: Oh, look, I think it'll be much. Uh, it'll be a New Zealand win in my mind, but a much improved performance from the Wallabies. Like I said, I think that the lineout can be addressed, so it's not going to be as poor within a week. Um, and the defensive structures were pretty. They were working pretty hard in defence. They struggled against the inside passes um, and the underslines that New Zealand forwards were making back against the grain. But I think that with a week of preparation, uh, more possession throughout the match, like in the 50th minute of the game, Australia had made 122 tackles by the 50th minute. Um, And the running metres with the ball were 474 for New Zealand to 62 for Australia, which just showed you how little possession they actually had during the first 50 minutes of the game and that obviously extended on as well. So I think if they can just keep a bit more possession of the ball, um, make sure that their line is functioning effectively, their scrum got fairly handily dominated at a few points, but at least they got the ball out quickly enough to make to do something with it. Um, if they can do those basic things, then they're in to make it a close match. I'm just not confident that they can get the win
1: yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens I'm, I'm interested to see what changes they make in terms of personnel whether they stick with the same 23 maybe make a few changes um i thought grace Kemp was great this week and she was excellent there there was uh some a contentious call made to drop grace hamilton who has mm. been great for the wallaroo uh, for the new south wales waratahs women's team this year uh she was in great form but Kemp has really been training well and I think it showed through her selection this week that she deserved to be there. It'll be interesting to yep. see whether... I would not be surprised if they select her again, but whether they could somehow find room for Grace Hamilton on the bench because I think her experience, former captain, the amount of tests that she has played over the last few years for the Wallaroos, I think that could be a really big injection in the second half for the Wallaroos.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Grace Kemp was absolutely fantastic. Gave away a couple of um, penalties that, looking back on reviews, she'll probably not do again um, (laughs) in terms of kind of being the binding player and then going off her feet at the ruck. Or um, there were a couple of others where she just got caught on the wrong side of the ruck, that kind of thing. Um, So I think she gave away maybe three penalties throughout the game. But her runs off set play were very, very effective. Um, The scrum... Although it was getting pushed back, she managed to make a fair few metres in contact, running off the back of a uh, re- retreating scrum. She was really, really good. So I can't wait to see more of her play. She was probably the best player on the field for the Wallaroos.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, we have had some questions come through. So in the locker room, shall we dive into those? Because they yeah, mostly Let's just revolve go around in. the Wallaroos and, and women's rugby in Australia. So the first question comes to us from Craig at Balumba on Twitter. Why is WAFL or the women's AFL and WNRL, women's NRL, light years ahead of women's union in Australia?
0: Look, it just comes down to money and we said it before, both the AFL and the NRL are the largest domestic competitions in Australia. And so they have the capacity to, because they've got such established domestic leagues, to be funding expansion into women's rugby and AFL. So that's that's it. What is the major problem that Rugby Australia has had over the last 5, 10 years and still has is money. We don't have the money for it. And we barely have enough to be considering like a second tier of men's rugby as well as women's rugby, as well as the sevens competition, as well as the travel requirements for super and um, the Wallabies too. So... It's it's really really challenging in a competitive market, and they're just they've got better funding. That's simply it.
1: We're not a fickle fan base at all, are we, rugby fans? <laughs> what do we want? The NRC. What do we want? A professional women's team. A uh, professional women's <laughs> competition. How do we pay it? We want both. Uh, no idea. But just no idea. Get just private equity.
0: It. The magical private
1: equity. That's right. The magical private exactly. equity. It, it is. It is. I do um, find it difficult to understand how there's no. Uh, company out there that is wanting to sponsor uh, in some way, not necessarily pay for the complete running of a women's competition. But when we look back at how pivotal, pivotal Build Corp was in getting the Super W up and running in the first place, that was the real reason why Super W was created, was because Build Corp wanted that competition, a, a professional women's competition, to grow the game. They were the ones in hand in hand with. Um, the NRC, so together they funded both of those. It would be I just don't see why we've lost those connections, why RA has lost connections with brands that want to grow the game. There are clearly sponsors out there that want to see AFL and NRL grow. There's so many sponsors. When you look at teams like Parramatta Eels, the women's team, they have more sponsors on their jerseys than the men's team does. They actually don't have enough space on the jerseys to put all the sponsors on there. So it's not that there's not interest from people to get to sponsor and to promote the game and the, and grow the game for the women. It's just I don't think that RA is handling it in the right ways about growing the game, about getting eyeballs on it, and um, yeah, just getting it out there so that people know. If we look at this game particularly, if we weren't sta- if we weren't diehard rugby fans like we are, we probably I, I would expect the general public didn't even know that the Wallaroos were playing this weekend. Nothing on Twitter about it, nothing on Instagram from Stan Sport really pumping up this game. There's ads on Channel 9 for the Wall- Wallabies tests, which is great, but there's nothing about the Wallaroos tests that are double-header. So I yep. think R.A. and Stan can do a little bit better in that regard.
0: Completely agree, mate. Why don't we keep going with the next couple of questions coming through?
1: Do you want me to keep asking them or should we bounce yep, back and Yeah, you forth? go. Okay. Nah, nah, you go. Hugh asked, should we have expected a different result from this one? our women aren't paid in the main and minimum wage in women aren't paid in the main and minimum wage in the NRLW is 8,500 with average 30 K according to some articles he's read. So really should we have expected a different result?
0: Look, I, I don't think so. We've spoken about it enough. Now the main problem that we have is the lack of professionalism within women's 15s rugby and the lack of money that's within the game that it's incredibly obvious. Look at, as you mentioned before, the, quality of athlete that the sevens program, which gets the majority of its funding from the Olympic committee. Um, and because they're a realistic gold medal chance, they get a huge amount of funding to participate there. And you look at the quality of athlete there and you think Charlotte Kazakh would be incredible if she came across Shawnee Williams, like any of the players would be amazing. And you also have the sevens program, which is poaching players from women's AFL. That are coming across so you look at examples like that and you go well what's the problem that 15 women's 15s rugby has doesn't have the money and if you can pay female athletes a professional wage and a living wage you will get quality athletes coming to your game because they love sport they love competing they love playing they deserve to be paid for their time and for their game and they just simply aren't at this point and that is the main issue that we have
1: i thought it was really interesting i um turned on Fox Sports this weekend, and I know we don't mention them on the pod lightly, but I did turn it on this weekend just to, to see some of the NRLW that kicked off over the weekend. And whilst watching the NR, uh, the Parramatta team play, there was a few times that the commentators mentioned Pacific players and how they were union players who'd come across mm-hmm. to NRLW to get their fitness up to go back to union. Now, that's the way that the commentators were spinning that story, but I would say they, they're playing league. To get it, get some money in the bank so that they can go back to union and pay, and play for free. the The biggest fear that I have is that even if we do set up a, a specialized or a um not a specialized sorry a, a professional Super W competition and can reimburse the players in some capacity next year, we've already lost too many players to NRLW or the AFL who are already ingrained in the culture, have contracts, have played, have paid. Been paid to play for them. Look at Emma Tomagato, for example. She was a star for the Seven Series a few years ago. She's made the switch back over to the NRLW and she's absolutely tearing it to shreds at the moment. If she was playing for the Wallaroos, she would also be tearing it to shreds. The problem is that we don't pay her to do that and we are going to lose our top talent if we continue to do yeah. that. Even yeah. if we do, and my point is even if we do bring in a professional or a partly professional Super W competition. I wonder if it's too late to actually bring that talent back across.
0: Yep. Yeah. Some valid concerns there.
1: Um, Gold Digger makes a comment and it's not really a a question, but a comment would be great to hear from Rupa on what they think is a practical way forward for the advancement of the Wallaroos.
0: Yeah, I'd agree on that one. We, We aren't hearing enough from Rugby Australia and Rupa about their directions for the women's game. So that's concerning and the silence is worrying. So even if they, like, if they were just honest and said we don't have the money, and go we're looking at it. It is a priority, but we have so many priorities. We're struggling to juggle them all with the limited funding that we have. Here is our hope. Here is our roadmap forward of what we're wanting to do in this general time frame. It's finan- It's dependent upon investment. Something like that is realistic and fair in my mind. But just to put out information, I think would be uh, really, really valuable. And and what's the right? Word? It would publicly state or position rugby australia as caring about women's rugby while the silence that silence provides space for alternate claims to be made
1: exactly yeah big big bit of work to be done in that regard and hopefully in the next i guess 18 months we can see some massive advancements made in the women's side um we have had a few questions come in from Hugh96 on Twitter as well. So I'll ask some, I think some of these questions we've actually already answered previously in our review of the game. So mm. uh, one of the questions he asks is our problem just a depth issue?
0: Uh, look, I think that is correct in some ways, but I mean, the depth doesn't really matter if you don't have the quality as well i know that's a simplistic statement to make but our players that we have currently are just struggling to compete consistently with the top players within new zealand rugby um and other teams that we're coming up against that have more experience and more funding and the like so i don't think it's necessarily a depth issue i think it's the the systems behind the scenes that are enabling them to perform to their best aren't in place
1: what do you think is our best back row combination
0: yeah, that's a tough one. I really like the combination that we had on the weekend um with Chancellor Kemp and Parry as the six, eight, and seven. Um, I'd really like to see Grace Hamilton back in there. I think it's it's a bit of a mystery. Her losing the captaincy and getting dropped from the 23. I find I find that a bit challenging um to to see cuz she had a pretty good super w season as well so I'm a little bit miffed about that one um i <laughs> personally think that maybe if you need a greater carrying threat then maybe swap her out for emily chancellor and have kemp and hamilton on the field at the same time to provide more carrying options um to try and get a bit more kind of go forward in attack i feel that like that could lose be an out. interesting option
1: I feel like we lose our breakdown presence if we remove Chancellor from that back three. So, what I'd be yeah, doing, yeah, and, and purely as a, a New South Wales Waratahs fan, I'd be um, uh, shifting Chancellor to seven. I'd be bringing Kemp into six, and I'd start Grace Hamilton at eight. So I'd so you'd swap captain. captain for captain. Yeah, I'd swap captain for for captain, and and I'd reinstate Grace Hamilton as captain. But that I could be too uh, one-eyed and, and New South <laughs> Wales proud in my. Yeah, that way. was
0: genuinely going to be my next suggestion as well, actually. Is um, I think Parry had a good game, but um, Chancellor was stronger of the ball for that for during the match. So, with that in mind, then maybe if you need Hamilton onto the field, then you swap her out for Parry, put Parry on the bench, um, and then um, give Hamilton a rest after 50 minutes. And then Parry comes on to close out the game as captain. Who knows?
1: One other question, uh, one other point that just has jumped, sprung to mind uh, now that we're talking about the women's game and, and next year. Uh, two players, two pivotal players for the New South Wales Waratahs, have been announced this week as signing overseas yeah. contracts yep. in in the Premiership or the Women's Premiership. I'm not quite sure what it's that competition's called off the top of my head over there. If it, it, it's called something separate to the Premiership, but anyway. Cool. Um, so Emily Chancellor is going over to play for Harlequins, and um, Laurie Kramer. Laurie, Laurie like. Kramer, that's it. Had a mental blank there. Laurie Kramer has signed for the Exeter Chiefs. So interesting to see that and, and a smart move on their their parts. Uh, they will play for the Wallaroos at the World Cup this year, but they won't be partaking in Super W next year and they will be going over into full-time contracts uh, in, in England. And I do wonder how many other players will follow suit and yep. we could see that as a real, um, I guess, watershed moment for women's sport, in, uh, women, the women's, women's talent, yep. women's rugby in Australia.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Go, go women, go get paid full time for doing a sport that you love. Um, And if that means you have to go over to England and then um, kind of fly back for Walrus games or um, that kind of thing. Yeah, fine. Go for it. Um, They don't get paid what they deserve here in Australia. So go where you get paid for playing rugby and and follow that. Be a part of a fully professional setup and um, yeah, get that experience and bring it back to Australian rugby when you can.
1: Yeah, well, it's win-win in my mind as well because you get you over there, as you said, and you get that professional experience, you become a better player in of itself and hopefully they will still be able to be picked for the Wallaroos. Not too sure how that whole works in terms of contracts and um, releases and international windows and things around the women's game, whether that even exists, not too sure. But fingers crossed they can still feature for the Wallaroos in the future. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the podcast. Were there any other points or questions you wanted to raise or chat about?
0: No, mate. I'm I'm pretty good on that. Uh, had a few more things to uh, opinions about the game, but I'm keen to see how they play out in this this weekend's match. So make sure that you tune in. What time did you
1: say, Mitch? Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty kickoff. Yep.
0: Yep. Twelve thirty kickoff. Tune in to Stan Sport. It's going to be absolutely fantastic to watch, and then followed up by the Wallabies versus Springboks later in the evening.
1: There is a lot of sport going on next weekend. We've got Shoot Shield finals or preliminary mm-hmm. finals. We've got. Hospital Cup, I think, is heading into finals as well. We've yep. got the Wallaroos. We've got all Wallaroos, Wallabies, All Blacks in Argentina as well. So just block out the weekend. Get in front of Stan Sport and don't change the channel.
0: All right, team. On that note, have a wonderful week. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll catch you later. All
1: right. See you, team. Bye. Bye.